You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life on the Palouse, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. So great and such a blessing to be worshiping with all of you guys this morning, Uh, whether you're here in person or you're joining us online, thank you for being here. If I have not had the privilege of meeting you yet, my name is Adam McKeldry, and I uh, get to serve here on the staff as one of the pastors. You know... As, as one of the staff members, I get to do a lot of great things like work with Haley on what she's doing and uh, real needs, which she's doing a great job. But one of the, my favorite things that I get to do is each week, you know, those of you who fill out those connection cards and you mark, I want to talk to somebody about committing my life to Christ or I want to talk to somebody about baptism. I'm the one who gets to reach out. And when I hear back from you guys and we get together, It is my favorite time to just sit down over a cup of coffee and hear how God has been weaving his story in people's lives, bringing people to turning points in their lives where they've made that decision, like, I'm ready to follow Jesus, or I'm ready to get baptized, you know, and and today I get to do that again, like, I get to be a part of another person's story after second service, we're going to have another baptism, which I'm really looking forward to. But I, I say all this because today, as we continue through the Gospel of Matthew, we are going to see a moment, a turning point in Jesus' life. Some might call it a watershed moment. And I'm talking about Jesus' baptism. And we're going to dive into it. And we're going to look at what this monumental moment meant for Jesus. And what it can mean for us 2,000 years later. But... Before we jump to Jesus' story, I want us to go back and remind ourselves of what we learned last week about John the Baptist, because who John the Baptist is and what we learned last week is pivotal to what we're going to be talking about today. So remember, John the Baptist was not just a crazy wild man running around the, the wilderness eating locusts and honey. We actually found out that he's the cousin of Jesus, and he also is a rabbi, just like Jesus was. And he has disciples that follow him. But most importantly, we found out that he is the coming Elijah, the one that God spoke about in the prophets. And you know, this is such a vital role for the people of Israel, this Elijah role, because when Elijah came, the people knew that the Messiah was soon to follow. And with the Messiah meant there would be freedom and the kingdom that, that he was bringing with him would be established and they would be, once again, who they were created to be. But John didn't go around telling people that he was Elijah. Right? He wasn't walking up and down the streets of Jerusalem saying, I don't know how to tell you this, but I'm kind of a big deal. You know, I'm the next Elijah. No, he told people who he was by the way he did ministry. He looked like Elijah. He wore camel skins and the leather belt. And he ministered in places that were important in Elijah's life. A lot of times as we read the text, we can look over the fact that location of where something happens is really important to the story. And, uh, and John knew that. So I want to throw up a, a map for us to start this morning. 
And I want to orient ourselves to where we are. So in the north side of this map, the top of the map, you see the Sea of Galilee. Now, the Sea of Galilee is going to be very important for us later on throughout the book of Matthew because Jesus does most of his ministry in that area. On the bottom of this, you'll see the Dead Sea. And then I have also marked Jerusalem and Jericho. And that area right between Jerusalem and Jericho is an area called the Judean Wilderness. And that's going to come more in play next week. The star indicates where we're going to be today. One of the places that John was doing his ministry. And there are a couple of other places along the Jordan River north of there that I, I don't have marked that John was doing ministry, and they were connected to Elijah's life as well, things that Elijah had done. But this one is, is well connected, and it means a lot, not just to John, but the whole people of Israel. So this was the spot where it is believed that Elijah, if you look at 2 Kings, where Elijah is taken up into heaven, this is the spot where they believe this happened, where God reached down, sent down a chariot of fire, and brought Elijah to heaven. This happened in this area. And so John, as he's there ministering, he's telling the people of Israel, look, I am Elijah. I'm picking up his ministry where he left off. It's also an important part for the people of Israel because in this area is where they first crossed over the Jordan into the promised land. The place where they were to to be stepping into this calling by God that he had given them through Abraham to be a blessing to all the world. So this is where we find John, by the Jordan River. This is a picture I got to take when I was in Israel a couple of years ago of the Jordan River. It's not in the same section, but it's a beautiful river. So John is here calling people to repent. Remember, he is, he's doing a baptism of repentance. Telling people to return to the way of God. To return to the path that he had set before them. Stop doing life your own way. Stop living a life of sin and come back to the path. And people would commemorate that and say, yes, I'm doing that. And they'd be baptized in this river. So this is where John is. This is what he's doing when Jesus comes on the scene. So if you have your Bibles, come with me to Matthew chapter 3. We're going to start reading in verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. I want to pause here for a little bit. Last week in our life groups, the first question that we asked, that we talked about was, what jumps out to you when you read through the text? And I don't know about you guys, but I just had a couple of things jump out to me from this text. Now, we could just say, oh, those things are weird. Those are interesting. And just keep moving on. But I think God wants more for us. I think he wants us to dig into the text. Not to necessarily find the answers to our questions, which does happen sometimes. 
but so that we can get a deeper, fuller understanding of who he is through our journey of trying to understand it more fully. So the first thing that surprises me about this text is John's response. When Jesus shows up and he wants to be baptized, John's like, no, what are you doing? I can't do that. What are you doing? And I'm like, why is he so adamant about not baptizing Jesus? Well, by the grace of God, we don't have to go that far to get a fuller understanding of what's going on here. Because we read about it last week. Just in the verses ahead of this, we are told, and we already talked a little bit about this, what kind of baptism was John doing? A baptism of repentance, right? People were coming from all over the place, confessing their sins and being baptized, telling the world that they are leaving behind their old life. They had wandered off the path, and they are getting back on the path, and they are going to walk it God's way from here on out. And so when Jesus shows up to get baptized, John's like, no way, Jesus, what are you doing? You don't have any sin to confess. You haven't been wandering off the path. You are the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, whose sandals I am not even fit to carry. What are you doing here? You're already on God's path. You're already walking it the way that you're supposed to. You're living a godly life. You don't need to be baptized for repentance. And when we know that now, it makes a little more sense for us why John would be so adamant about trying to tell Jesus no and deter him from that. But how Jesus responds is the thing that jumps out to me next. He just says, let it be so. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And John goes, okay. And I'm like, what what just happened here? Did Jesus pull an Obi-Wan Kenobi? Like, this is not the baptism you're looking for. Like, what is going on here? Like, what is he talking about for righteousness to be fulfilled? Now, this this journey is not quite as easy as, as the first one. This is one that I've been on for the last couple weeks, and I know I'm going to continue to be on for a while as I try to f- make sense of why this statement would make John consent. And I've come across a few things from a couple of teachers that I really respect and love the way that they teach the text that I, I'd share with you guys, just to share with you the journey that I've been on so far. And maybe you can take it and take it even further down the road. But the first thing that might be going on here is tied to the baptism, the kind of baptism that John was doing, the baptism of repentance. A baptism that is proclaiming to everyone around you as you do it, I am going to walk the path the way it was intended to be after this moment. And so perhaps as Jesus is doing this, he's, he's telling John, I, I know it's confusing. I know, I know it's very uncomfortable for you right now. But we have to do this. I have to do this so that the world may know that what they see me do after this is the way to walk out the path of God. 
Or maybe, maybe it can be something like this. Like maybe it's tied to the word righteousness itself, which one of the definitions is right living. But righteousness is more than just right living. It is also being in right relationship. Being in right relationship with God, with creation, with one another, and with yourself. In the beginning, when God created the earth, there was righteousness. There was right relationship between those four people, those four levels, those four areas. Until sin and death entered the scene, when Adam and Eve decided to to disobey God. And then those relationships were broken. And so maybe Jesus is telling John, we, we have to do this. So that we can start restoring the relationships that were broken. So we can once again have shalom, peace and wholeness. Those are just a couple of things I've found. I encourage you guys to dig yourselves, try to figure out what is this? What, what could it possibly be that as soon as John heard this, he was like, all right, let's go forward. Let's move on with what we're going to do. Because what happens next is paramount to, I think, Jesus' ministry. So let's keep reading. Picking back up in verse 16. It says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my Son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. All right. So if you thought there was a lot packed into those three little verses that we just read first, there is far more going on in these two. Like Matthew is packing so much into these two verses, and we won't even have enough time to go over all of it. But what I want to do is point out to you guys four things that I see that jump out for me that are, I think are going on here. Four things, things that I see why this is such a significant moment in the life of Jesus. The first is this. I think this confirms his identity. It confirms his identity for him as the Son of God. Now, before you start throwing stones at me as a heretic, let me try to explain what I mean. How many of you remember being a kid or you're a parent and you have kids at that age where you're trying to teach them what something, what hot means? Like, this thing is hot, don't touch this. And your kid believes you, or if you can remember that you believe your parent, yeah, that's hot, but I don't know what that means. I'm not sure exactly what hot is. And without fail, we touch it because we're not sure what hot is. It's not because we didn't believe our parents, but we didn't know what hot is. And now, now we do. We know what hot is. We know what the identity of hot 
is. I think similarly, Mary would have no doubt told Jesus from the moment he could understand who he was, how his story began, why they gave him the name that they gave him, how he was going to be the one to save his people. And I think that Jesus would have absolutely believed that with his whole heart for 30 years. And then at this moment, as he's coming up out of the water and the sky opens up and the spirit of God comes down and the voice of God says, this is my son whom I love. In him I am well pleased. It was confirmed for him, everything that he had heard. His identity as the son of God had been confirmed. And now he could walk that out in confidence for the next little bit of time he was on the earth. The second thing I think I pull from here, at this moment is where Jesus is given authority. What I mean by that is I mean he was given authority as a rabbi. Now for us, in our culture, our context, that might not mean much. But for the first century Judeans, the Jews in the first century, it meant a lot. Now, scholars believe that there were not a lot of rabbis at one time that had authority. Only a few actually had authority. And so to be a rabbi with authority was a pretty big deal. You know, we'll see as we continue walking through the Gospel of Matthew, as he's teaching, people will be amazed by his teaching because he teaches as one who has authority. So what does it mean to be a rabbi with authority? Well, it means that he now has the ability to give new interpretations of the text. You see, as scribes of the law or or rabbis without authority, the only thing that they could teach was whatever was passed down before them. They could not give any new interpretations. But a rabbi with authority would say things like, you have heard it said this, but I tell you this. And he would start to open up the text more to his listeners. It was, it was kind of like a, an ordination process that had been in existence all the way since Moses. But it took two rabbis in order to give authority to someone. Two rabbis who had authority themselves. So who in this account are there two rabbis? Well, we have John the Baptist as our first. And most scholars believe that he was a rabbi with authority. Where he got it, we don't know, but he would be number one. Who's the second person present there? The Spirit of God. God himself. Just like Moses before him, Jesus receives the authority straight from God. And so he can go from here and be able to give new teachings to people, new interpretations of the text, open it up, not change the meaning of it, but broaden it for people to understand God more fully.
The third thing I see going on here is that this is a beginning of new things. I want to take you to a, a text that goes along with that statement. And I want to read to you guys from Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Here's what it says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Did you guys hear any similarities between the story in Genesis and the account of Jesus' baptism? It's okay if you didn't, because I'm going to tell them to you. I'm going to tell them to you because I think Matthew is doing something so cool right here. So let's start with creation. So what is the first thing that we see with creation? We see, we see this. Let's see, what, what are we at? Genesis, chaos. In Genesis it says, the earth was formless and void. Now the Hebrew word there is tohu vavohu, which means chaotic nothingness. I, I love, this is one of my favorite words, tohu Vavohu. You can say it with me. Tohu vavohu. You'll love it later, I promise you. My, my buddy describes this chaotic nothingness like if you take nothing and you put it in a blender and hit whip, it's just like absolute chaos of nothing. So in the beginning, chaos reigned. So if we're finding similarities between these two accounts, then when we jump back to the baptism, we should find chaos, right? But it's not readily apparent unless we take into consideration some context. Now, the the people of Israel, the Jewish people, are not a seafaring folk. They don't like to be on the waters because... They saw water as chaotic, as dangerous, sometimes evil. And actually, in the Dead Sea Scrolls, they have found scrolls in there where they they reference the Jordan River as the ultimate picture of chaos in the land of Israel. So do we have chaos At Jesus' baptism, we absolutely do. It's the Jordan River. Chaos is present. Now as we go back to Genesis, to the creation account, the next thing that we see is the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God is hovering over the waters, hovering over the chaos. And now for another quick Hebrew language lesson, The word there is merahephet. Merahephet is also a word that is used to describe what it looks like when a dove is hovering or fluttering. 
And so the Spirit of God is coming down. It's merahefeting. I don't think that's the correct grammar there, but I'm committed. It's merahefeting over the chaos, that creation. Flying around, hovering like a dove. Which we've seen this, right? We've, we've already seen this. Because when we go back to Matthew, what happens when the sky opens? The Spirit of God comes down like a dove. It merahefeted. Still committed to the bad language. Merahefeted down like a dove as it ascends and alights upon Jesus. This, this is awfully convenient, isn't it, that these two similarities are here? I don't think so. I think Matthew's trying to tell us something. Back to Genesis, what happens next? God speaks. He says, let there be light. And there is light. And when we go back to the account in Matthew, what happens after the spirit descends? God speaks again. This is my son whom I love. In him I am well pleased. This is not by accident. Matthew is telling us what is happening here at Jesus' baptism is a new creation. Not a creation where new things are going to be made, but a creation where all things will be made new. One of the things that is going to be made new is the kingdom. This kingdom that he is ushering in. You know, the people Israel knew as when the Messiah showed up, he would be ushering in a new kingdom. But they expected one to be like, like David's or Solomon's where he had to come in and by force reestablish the kingdom and free the people of Israel. But that was not the kingdom that Jesus was ushering in. His was upside down compared to that. It was a kingdom that no one expected to see or experience. One where you would forgive people who wronged you. Where you would pray for people who persecuted you. Where you would love your enemies. This is something new indeed. And this is the kingdom that he was bringing in. New ways to think, new ways to act, new ways to love. Completely opposite of what everybody was expecting. And as you might expect, with a new kingdom showing up on the scene, the old kingdom, the one that was established, was going to feel threatened. Which brings me to the fourth and final thing that I see here. This is a declaration of war. Jesus stepping down into the Jordan River that day was an act of war against the kingdom of chaos. Against 
the sin, against the brokenness, the pain, the death that was reigning throughout the land. And he was saying, no more. And as he walks up out of the water, he's saying, where Israel failed when they came through here so many years ago and being a blessing to all people, I will succeed. I will show you what it looks like as I usher in this new kingdom. If if you know the text, think about the very next thing that happens. What happens? Jesus is led out into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit, by the Spirit of God, to be tested. This new kingdom was going to be tested. And Satan comes to him and tries to take out this kingdom of order before it can take out his kingdom of chaos. But that is another sermon for next week when we talk about this. Can you see why, can you see why this moment in Jesus' life was so pivotal? So important. There's so much going on in these five verses, guys. Like, I didn't even get to talk about the fact that this is looked at as the moment Jesus is anointed as the king. We don't have time to talk about that. It is an immensely significant part of his story. But that significance does not stop with him. I think it is significant for us as well. I was talking with a friend of mine a couple weeks ago about Jesus' baptism. And one of the things he said has really stuck with me since then. He said, our baptism is the start of us partnering with Jesus' baptism. And I've thought about that. And I think he's right. I think he's right. When we choose to surrender our lives, our will, our way of doing things to Jesus, when we commit to follow him as our teacher, as our Savior, our Lord and King, and we are baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we too have a watershed moment because we've been given a new identity. An identity that is rooted in who Jesus is and who he says we are. And we are given authority, he tells us, and we're going to see it later on, much later on. We are given the authority to go out into all the world and make disciples of him, to teach them all that he has commanded, and to baptize them. And we are now citizens of this new kingdom. The Holy Spirit lives within us and we are now bringing new things with us wherever we go. And we've been asked to step into this chaos with Jesus, to engage in the war of bringing his order, his kingdom into the world to overcome this chaos just as he did back then and as he's continuing to do today. But unfortunately... Unfortunately, I think we're missing 
out on this. Many of us, and I'm talking about myself included. And we're missing out on it because we're still standing on the banks of the Jordan. And we're looking out over the chaos. And we're just not quite sure how to engage into it. We don't know where to start. Or maybe we're a little afraid because it's scary to step into chaos. And all the while, Jesus is in the middle of the water, middle of the chaos, with his hands stretched back to us, inviting us to join him. Inviting us to remember what our identity is in him. That we have the authority to bring the kingdom with us because his spirit lives within us. And wherever we go, we bring the kingdom with us. New things can happen. Just step out. Face the chaos. It's going to look different for, um, for all of us because we're not all standing on the same spot along the bank. I'm not sure what it looks like for you. You know, maybe, maybe for you to step out is to, stand, to sign up to be a part of real needs. To be a part of bringing practical things to people who are in literal chaos in their lives. And as you're doing that, you are bringing the kingdom with you. And they get to experience that through the way that you interact with them and serve them. Or maybe, maybe for you, it looks like you just showing up in someone's life who's going through a hard thing. And one of the scariest things to do is just that. When somebody's going through a difficult time where they've, they've lost a loved one or they've lost a job or they've had an epic failure in their lives, it's scary for us to to know exactly how to go and be a part of that with them, to go and join their mess. But that's exactly what they need. And if you've been in those moments, you know, you just want somebody to show up and sit in the chaos with you. To love them like God loves them, to see them the way he does. To bring the peace that is inside you with you wherever you go. Or maybe, maybe it looks like you going to someone that you treated poorly. Whether it was before Jesus came into your life or after. Maybe you need to go to someone and confess what it is that you've done. Own your part. Apologize and ask for forgiveness expecting nothing in return. God gave me that chance a couple years ago, and I shared about it more in depth back then. But I ran into a guy that I knew in the Army 20 years ago. And I ran into him in just the most random place in the world. And I had a choice. I could either continue to stand on on the bank where it was safe and comfortable, or I could step out into the chaos. And by the grace of God and the strength that he gave me because of his Holy Spirit in me, I was able to do that. 
and I owned my part to this man, and I apologized and asked his forgiveness. And I don't know if it did anything for him, but it did for me. The chaos that I had in my own life because of that was brought to order. You see, when we step out in the chaos, it's not just about bringing order for other people, but it also does it for us as well. So let me ask you guys, what will you do? Will you continue to stand on the banks of chaos and look out? Or will you accept the invitation that Jesus has given you to step out into the chaos and join him and face it head on? This time we're going to go to our time of communion with one another. Today, what I want you guys to do as we prep for communion, as I'm not going to say anything after I finish saying this, what I want you guys to do is talk to God yourselves. Ask him to search your heart and identify in your, in your lives where you are still standing on the banks. And what do you need to do to step out and join him in the chaos and bring the kingdom that he has given you with you? So just give you guys a few moments to prepare your heart and talk with him. On the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and broke it and he gave it to his guys and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us remember together his invitation to join him. And after the meal, he took the cup. So this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let us remember together. Father, I thank you for how amazing your word is. Lord, how you worked through Matthew as he wrote this account this good news that we have today to tie so many things that are going on, Lord. God, thank you for the new creation, Lord. Thank you that you are doing new things, that you are making all things new. God, what an honor it is that you have invited us to join you in that, to join you in the chaos that surrounds us in this world to help you bring order, to bring restoration to all things. Father God, I, I ask for the courage, the boldness, and the strength that you give us. Your strength, your boldness, your courage, Lord, so that we can step out into the chaos. Remember who we are in you. Remember that you have given us that identity, that you have given us the authority to partner with you. Lord, may we go out this week and face the chaos in our lives and bring your new kingdom wherever we go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by visiting liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.